crew. We watched a movie on the inflatable screen out there and had an abbreviated service and did that. And then last week, we had an abbreviated sermon so we could spend time at the end of service to pray. Pray for our nation, pray for our country, pray for our world, really, and for God to move through his church. So tonight I want to do something a little different as well. I want to start my sermon with a, a moment of confession. I want to ask a question, and you, you can answer me honestly. Who's downloaded the Pokemon Go app? Show of hands. <laughs> so last weekend, after worship practice, was the first I'd heard about it. Nate was in the back talking to Zach Pothier, getting the, the lowdown about how it's augmented reality, which shout out to Wayne, Wayne Thomas. I don't know if you've seen the video on Facebook. He's doing crazy stuff with that at the shipyard. And because I watched that video, that's the only reason I could talk about augmented reality like an intelligent human being. But that's what the, 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 the app does. It uses your GPS, your phone, and you're able to, through augmented reality, catch Pokemon. And, and I was like, that's cool. Uh, cool story, bro. I'm going to keep living my life. But... I had no idea how big it was getting because it's tapped into simultaneously our nostalgia for the 90s, our struggle with ADD, and our addiction to our cell phones. It's just all three of those in one, and it's thrived. In the past week, uh, the downloads and use has already surpassed, like, the dating app Tinder. It's gonna, it's about to pass Twitter, which has been around for 10 years, which is crazy. On Monday, Nintendo's stock was up 25%. I don't care about winning the game. I wish I could have won there. Like, I had stock, and I could have cashed in on that. That's what I'm bitter about. But uh, there's, there's also positive uh, stuff. There's this crazy stuff. Some businesses have had to put on their doors uh, Pokemon for paying customers only. Uh, like, the Holocaust Museum and the Arlington Cemetery have had to turn around. People that are just wandering in, looking at their cell phone, trying to catch Pokemon. And there's been people hopping out of their car in high-traffic areas who have been hit by their car to catch Pokemon. But again, there's been some positive stuff. You, you've seen, or maybe you haven't seen, but there's been instances where cops are playing it with protesters. Like, just this little glimpse of community in what's becoming a, a more and more fractured world. So and that's positive in a way, right? And at the same time, in the same place, people are playing this game together. And I read a, a testimony, actually. It, it said, I'm a vet with PTSD. The last three years, leaving my yard was a chore. Today, I took my kid to the park and talked to 20 random strangers. Thank you, Nintendo. So that's cool. But of course, with every fad that just takes over and every fad that infiltrates, especially like the church youth and even here, I saw the hands, some of the adults you get pushback, right, from the super saints. They don't know how to pick their battles. Like, if only you were as passionate about Jesus as you were about fill in the blank, then the world would be a better place. If only you were as passionate about, say, um, seeking the lost as you were about catching Pokemon, the world would be a better place, right? And real quick, actually, it's not just a U.S. thing. This is the president of Israel posted that picture and said somebody called security just this past week. But again, with the church you can get some, some pushback, right, and some, some funny memes. And if you haven't seen any, then I've got a, a short highlight reel. This is a comedian. He goes by Kevin on stage. And uh, this is just him uh, just hitting you with some of those Jesus jukes. Some of y'all are so busy playing Pokemon Go, but do you go to church, uh-huh? Do you go into your war room and pray, uh-huh? Do you go to Bible study? Oh, you playing Pokemon, but have you poked Amon and invited him to church, huh? You've been catching Pikachu, but has your Bible got a peek at you? I don't got no help in Zion on today, huh? You gotta catch them all, but have you caught the Holy Ghost, huh? You gonna get a Charizard in hell 
Oh, he's going to burn you up. Amen. Got to catch one thing, and that's Jesus, his mighty name. Amen. I watched, I watched that probably a hundred times yesterday, and I was like, I got to find a way to get that into my sermon. So th- there are, you know, a bunch of funny stuff because it's crazy how, how far it's gone in one week. And again, when you get a, a fad like this, there's the people that embrace it fully, and then there's always those people who, who want everybody to know, I have no part in this. I'm too cool for this. I'm too old for this. I don't have time for this. But it's funny, some of those people that don't have time to play it, they have time to go on Facebook and tell everybody that they don't play it. But uh, I just, my stance is live and let live. I haven't downloaded it because I know my competitive drive would have me trying to just smoke everybody and playing entirely too much. And really, it's like the greatest unintentional health craze ever. We're going to do more to, like, eliminate childhood obesity in this couple weeks than we have in years. Just, I'd imagine there are kids waking up like, why do my legs hurt? Am I dying? No, that's what sore muscles feel like, right? That's what sore muscles feel like. But, again, we've got these two crowds. The crowd that's all about it, they're sent. There's probably people right now, because this is, uh, what do you call it? A pokey stop. I don't know what that means, but there's probably somebody right now checking their phone, right? <laughs> You've got those people that are sent. They're, they're going crazy. Like just last night, I could keep telling stories because it's hilarious. Uh, outside of Central Park, apparently there was some rare Pokemon in Central Park. People got out of their cars, left them in the street, and there was like a stampede trying to go capture this Pokemon. People are sent. They're going out into the streets. Just when I got here to set up at 2, there was a pickup truck and a kid on their bike. Just trying to catch Pokemon. People are out in these streets. They're sent. And then you got the people who want to set themselves apart and say, I don't have time for this. You see two crowds with this whole Pokemon craze. And the whole reason I bring this up is because it's hilarious to me. Even though I don't play, I, I thoroughly enjoy all the stories from people I know and then from the news. But then also because we've been in this series called Big Enough for Both. And we've talked about how sometimes we can put a or where God has put an end and shown he's big enough for both. And tonight I want to talk about the ideas in the Bible of being set apart and the idea of being sent. And again, those are the two crowds you see with Pokemon. And and we talked, again, in big enough for both about how um, we need to pick up both. You don't pick up one at the expense of the other. A couple weeks ago we talked about grace and truth. Our culture, as broken as it is, do we need to dispense grace or champion truth? And the answer is both. Right? July 4th weekend, we talked about does religion free me or does it restrict me? And we talked about how God's boundaries are actually life-giving. Yes, he frees us and he restricts us so that we can walk in more and more freedom. We need both. It's not contradictory or an either-or proposition. It's complementary. And like we've talked about before, it's like when complementary colors come together at full intensity and produce white light, we walk in the light and reflect God's light into dark places when we pick up both. So tonight, we're going to look at this idea of being set apart and this idea that we're sent. And when you look at the phrase set apart, it's a pretty big deal in Scripture that we're called to be set apart, holy, righteous in our pursuit of God. And it's in the amplified version over a hundred times in Scripture. But here's one passage where the common theme theme of, of being separate and set apart. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. 
As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. If you read that passage and just that passage, didn't read all the chapters around it or, or the Bible as a whole, taken literally, you could take it as we need to move towards isolation in a response to a broken and increasingly godless culture where we'll put up walls to shut the world out. It's a bunker mentality. We hide, and we might worship, praise God, perfect holiness, but we do it with as little contact with the world as possible. It's focusing on maintenance, but not the mission we have. And it's funny, whenever I see, and maybe you've seen it before, a, a Christian artist sits down or does a song with a secular artist, or a prominent pastor goes to a secular event and takes a, a picture with some secular celebrities, or a Christian celebrity goes on to a secular talk show. You'll see people post some of these verses saying, hey, we should be separate. We shouldn't be in those situations. Written on the proverbial stones that they throw online. You might even see the, the verse quoted, bad company corrupts good morals. Anybody that's grown up in the church, you've heard your parents say that before, I'm sure. Bad company corrupts good morals. Watch out who you hang with. And all of these verses are biblical truth. They're true. But what about the passages that tell us we're sent? We're called to reach the lost and the broken, to make disciples and change the world. You know, there's that kind of all-important passage in the Bible called the, the Great Commission, right? What about that? And tonight I want to look at a passage. And I want to look at a person that shows us the perspective of being set apart and how that properly informs our life and our call to be sent. One of these places we get this term set apart where it's used multiple times is in John 17. It's going to be our, our, our main core text tonight. John 17, and I'm going to read verses 13 through 19. And this is the amplified version. I love the amplified version sometimes. It just goes deep into the meaning of the words. That's why there's brackets. That's why there's stuff in parentheses. If you're not an English major, you might go crazy reading it, but I'll read it for you. It's verses 13 through 19 of John 17. Again, the amplified version. Jesus is praying to God. This is before he's arrested, goes to the cross, and dies for us. He's praying specifically for the church. He's praying for us. And Jesus says, now I'm coming to you, speaking to God. And I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may experience my joy made full and complete and perfect within them. I have given to them your word, the message you gave me. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world and do not belong to the world, just as I am not of the world and do not belong to it. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them and protect them from the evil one. Again, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Set them apart for your purposes. Make them holy. Your word is truth. Just as you commissioned and sent me into the world, I also have commissioned and sent them, believers, into the world. For their sake, I sanctify myself to do your will, so that they also may be sanctified, set apart, dedicated, made holy in your truth. Again, in this passage, we see the, the phrase set apart. We see the word sent used multiple times. And we see that we're set apart for a reason. It says right here that we're set apart for God's purpose, for God's purposes for us. What's his purpose for us? It's pretty explicit in these verses and in Jesus' prayer. Our purpose is be, to be commissioned and sent out into the world. 
You know, when the, the Bible talks about being set apart and when the Bible talks about being separate, it's not talking about geography or physical distance. You know, again, Jesus says in this passage, I don't ask that you take them out of the world. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, I'm not talking about you not having contact with people who are living in immorality because to do that, you'd have to be taken out of the world. That's not what Paul's saying either. See, difference, being set apart, it doesn't demand distance. We can be both set apart and sent. We can pick up our call to be set apart and we can pick up our call to be sent. We don't want to pick up one and put down the other, nor should we. Because without contact with the world, we won't have an impact on the world. We can't isolate or fortify or bunker down. We've got to infiltrate. And that takes both being set apart and realizing that we're sent, that we have a calling. And really that takes some courage. I love that Tara prayed during worship. Give us an extra dose of courage because we need to pray for that tonight. But just to have a moment of participation, who are, who are some courageous people you know? We're going to have a moment of participation because I know some of y'all are trying to catch Pokemon right now. Focus, focus. Who are some courageous people that you know? Whether it's a, a specific person or people that have an occupation, a, a generic group of people, some courageous people in the world. Missionaries, absolutely. Hey, we got a couple here from Costa Rica, right? Shake their hand tonight. Tell them God bless and pray for them. Tara, active duty military, absolutely. Military in general, absolutely. <laughs> Police and fire, yep. We brought donuts, my wife and I, all over the place on Monday with y'all's name on it, just so you know, City Life, that we're praying for them. So y'all need to uh, cash that check. I wrote it, so be praying for our police officers and firefighters, all right? Who else? Courageous. Anybody battling cancer. Amen. The people that serve them, too. Caretakers, yep. What about, who are some courageous people in the Bible? When you think of the Bible, people that exhibited courage. David, same time, simultaneous, yep. Jesus is always the right answer. Yes, Nate. We've been in youth ministry. We know, hey, all else fails, say Jesus. <laughs> Anybody else? So, we say Stephen, yep, absolutely. Nathaniel, Daniel, yes. Noah, yep. I hear John, Esther, Paul. Moses, Mary, all these examples of courage. The one I want to hit on, I don't remember who just said it, it might have been Emily, is Daniel. You know, we think of Daniel, though, it was over here somewhere? Oh, sorry. Let me give credit where credit is due. Kathleen, thank you. <laughs> what do you think about Daniel? What do you think of Daniel and the lion's den, right? Like, that's the story. That's the flannel board history we know from Sunday school. Daniel and the lion's den, and this story where he's persecuted for spending time in his prayer closet, and he gets thrown into a den of lions. And you know, when we, we just hear that part of the story, we see very little of his interaction with people and the culture around him. We, we get this picture like there was a mortal enemy he had that swore, that he swore to have no part of, that was persecuting him for his purity. But tonight, I think we need to embrace the full courage of Daniel, because Daniel showed two different kinds of courage. The first is the courage to be pure, the courage to be set apart. The second is he had the courage to be proximate, to be sent, to spend time in the culture, even invest in that government and be a light. But see, to start with, Daniel had the courage to be pure, even in his youth, to live a life that was set apart. You know, Paul said to his young protege, Timothy, in his letter in 1 Timothy 4.16, watch your life and your teaching closely. 
Because what you teach people, what you tell people, what you share with people means very little if you're not living it. You know, you want to ruin your witness with the world. Try to, to share the gospel with the world while living like the world. We're called to be set apart. We're called to watch our life and watch our teaching closely. But then, you know, Paul also says in his letter to, to the Corinthians, it's 1 Corinthians 9 where he says this phrase. you probably heard it before. I became all things to all people. Does that contradict what we just read? Well, you know, in the message version, I love it, in 1 Corinthians 9, it, Paul says, even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. Come on, I don't know if there's a more important verse in our culture Right now. Is that Pokemon? No? All right, cool. <laughs> I, no, I'm not going to call anybody out. I, I don't know if there's a more important verse in our culture. Not talking about the Pokemon craze of our culture. But as we see more and more division, as we see more and more stuff happening that's causing division, we need to be championing this. This verse where it says, I voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. Where he says, I didn't take on their way of life. He didn't compromise. I kept my bearings in Christ. But he says, I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. It's like we talked about last week. We have a limited perspective. We need to humbly try to seek an understanding of what other people are going through. For the church to champion diversity, we need humility. We need empathy. We need to enter other people's world and try to experience things from their point of view. You know, Daniel and his friends, they set themselves apart when they didn't really have a choice. Right? They were exiles in Babylon, and they, they definitely watched their way of life. And again, Daniel's got some cool stories. Daniel and the lion's den, cool. The fiery furnace, awesome. But I think one of my favorite passages in Daniel is, is a simple verse in verse 8, where it says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. You know, Daniel... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were all selected for this training program in Babylon. It took people from any background, if they had high skills, mental aptitude, and apparently if they looked good, to serve the government. Even exiles like Daniel and his friends. You know, they were tempted in every way to let go of their bearings and to take on a new way of life. They went from destitute, outcast refugees to essentially scoring a scholarship as students in King Nebuchadnezzar's academy for the best and the brightest. They went from exile to eating food from the king's table. It's like if a homeless person got a winning lottery ticket or, or got a scholarship to Harvard. You know, from the very beginning, too, we see Nebuchadnezzar. He tries to redefine them with new names, ultimately to get them to let go of their convictions and pick up a new way of life. But again, in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, it says that the, Daniel and his friends, they resolved. And that's a strong word. It's got deep meaning. It means committed to a course of action, that you're committed to a response. We can go through life with our only response being reactions and, and whatever happens to us, we try to react. But then there's also making a resolution. Daniel and his friends resolved early to be set apart and it set the course for the rest of their life. You know, wanting, preferring, or having an inkling towards God's will in a world where we have a constant onslaught of temptation, it's, it's not enough. We need a resolution to be set apart. And then you ask, well, what, is, what was Daniel even resolving about? Well, Daniel resolved not to eat meat from the king's table and defile himself with what God declared unclean. You know, I'd imagine there was some bickering. Maybe not. 
But I would have bickered. I'd have been like, uh, are we going to let this little detail trump this incredible opportunity that we have? And this wasn't a fast for Daniel. This is where we get the Daniel fast. But this was a matter of obedience. It was a clear-cut issue of obedience to God and faith in God. Because this food was, according to God, unclean. They were to have no part in it. But again, imagine the pressure from their peers, possibly from each other. Because imagine the possible repercussions to go back into exile, back into suffering, not just disgrace, but danger. But they didn't just respond and react and compromise. They resolved and they walked in conviction. The same issue that tripped up Adam and Eve, forbidden fruit, forbidden food, they passed with flying colors. You might have all the abilities in the world to be sent and have an impact and make a difference. And Daniel and his friends, because they were selected for this, we know that they did. But unless you resolve to set yourself apart, you won't go far in God's purpose for you. And here's the thing. David and his Daniels, Daniel and his friends, they did go far within this academy. They found favor with their teachers and their overseers because they acted with grace towards them. They studied for three years in this system, in this schooling with pagans. I used to tell the youth, you know, if they could do it for three years, you can too. Go into any school and maintain purity. Go into any school and resolve that you're going to follow Christ. But then it says they graduated and they were given government positions. The Bible says they were ten times better than the others Nebuchadnezzar had appointed. And Daniel served in this position in the government, people say, for up to six decades. Sixty years of his life spent in this culture. This was no holy hermit locked up in his prayer closet. That was his habit, and that's what fueled his courage to be set apart. But Daniel also had the courage to be proximate. And Babylon was a dark culture, far darker than any workplace we work in or place we go for our work. It was a pagan culture, but he lived as light interacting with it. You know, a lesson we need to learn from Daniel is you can be set apart and sociable. You can be set apart and sociable. Doesn't have to be weird. Doesn't have to be overbearing. Doesn't have to be drawing battle lines. Doesn't have to be quiet and all but silent. You can be set apart and still interact in our society and be a light for God. You know, Paul said on the ideal church leader in 1 Timothy 3.7, speaking of the ideal church leader, He says he must have a good reputation among outsiders. You know, Daniel had an amazing reputation. And Paul's statement here just assumes you're having interactions with people outside the church. You're having interactions where you're being a light in a dark place. And the king wanted Daniel, because of his reputation, because of his character, because of his integrity, to rule as governor over the whole kingdom. And because of this, his enemies get jealous. And you might know the story. They wanted to cripple him. So they're looking like, how can we get this guy? But because he was set apart, he was pure, he walked with integrity, they couldn't find anything. So they had to attack his prayer life because his prayer life was his way of life. So it worked. He wouldn't quit. He wouldn't compromise his faith. He was resolved, and he showed amazing courage to be set apart. He showed amazing courage to be pure and committed to God, all the way to the lion's den. But we can't forget Daniel's courage to be proximate, to be a light in a dark place. And to come full circle, speaking from John 17 and speaking from Daniel, is again, in churches, you might even hear this question about, you know, their DNA. Do we want to go deeper, disciple the saints, or do we want to reach people, have, have a, what you might call a seeker-sensitive service? Right? Do we want to reach people, or do we want to go deep? You know what? 
both. <laughs> reaching people is deep. Right? When you reach out and you're reaching your community, that's deep. You know, personal growth is important. Important Discipleship is important. But discipleship at City Life, we talk about the 12 pathways. There's sermons you can podcast. You can look that up online. We have 12 pathways, 12 disciplines. One of them is reaching, a.k.a. evangelism. And I think we shy away from it, not necessarily deep down because it's contradictory, but because it's hard. Like Terry was praying, it takes courage. It takes a heart that just gets over yourself. I might be embarrassed. I might even be rejected, but I'm going to reach because I know I'm sent. And again, we're way more prone to isolate than to infiltrate. We're way more prone. Like we talked about it last week, our flesh we want to meet some people that think like us, look like us, and are like-minded, and that's where we're comfortable. But Jesus calls us to step out. You know, Jesus has permission to call us to step out because he stepped out of heaven and went to the cross for us. So he's got a little pole there. But he calls us to step out. You know, Jesus left the throne so he could open the door and sit on the throne of our hearts. And when we don't go when we're sent, that's disobedience rooted in the fact that something else is on the throne. Often, pride. Focus on ourselves. And the reality is we aren't truly, fully set apart. I tweeted a while back. Again, Twitter's almost being eclipsed by Pokemon Go. I'm, like, irrelevant now. But I tweeted a while back. There was this conversation online. It was on YouTube. I I posted the link of just a Christian group that I love. And it was a conversation that they had with a secular artist about music. And I was like, this is dope. This is cool. So I posted that to Twitter. And, of course, somebody found it what I like to call a troll, <laughs> a keyboard war, and they were like, no, 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 I can't get behind this. And they, they quoted just scripture after scripture. They quoted that passage we opened with from Corinthians 6. They quoted the passage about bad company corrupts good character. And I don't, my stance in life with social media, I don't feed trolls, but uh, <laughs> I wanted to. Because I think sometimes we can wrongfully assume that contact and heartfelt relationship with people who don't know God is somehow an endorsement of their values. Like relationship with them is some kind of compromise. Well, (laughs) if by compromise you mean find common ground with those of other beliefs to forge true relationship and be a gospel voice in their life, then I'll gladly compromise in that way. You know, we're called to that. We need thermostats. Everybody that's been working in kid life for the past few weeks just said amen. (laughs) If you see anybody that's uh, worn a kid life shirt or serves in kid life, High five them, hug them, give them $20, something. They've been working these past couple weeks. The AC's been floundering. But uh, they fixed it this week. Amen, right? I think it's cooler over there than it is in here. Anyways, that's a rabbit trail. But, hey, thank them. The people that volunteer and watch our kids and we're doing it in heat, thank them twice as much. But let's come all the way back. <laughs> we need thermostats. We've got a lot of thermometers. People that can tell the temperature of our culture can tell this is wrong, that is wrong, this is an issue, that situation over there is a problem, this person is a problem. We got a lot of thermometers that can point to that, that can tell the temperature. We need more thermostats. We need people that are willing to go to dark places and be a light, change the atmosphere, set the temperature. You know, I don't know if you saw these, but this is for training for established footsteps. Specifically, Living Light Training is October 8, 2016, 9 to 3 p.m. But you can sign up because what Established Footsteps does is they minister to strip clubs. They minister to prisons. They go out. Sometimes they're out on Saturday nights ministering to these strip clubs, and, and they change the atmosphere. 
They set the temperature. You might ask, well, how can you go in that atmosphere? How can you step into that sin-filled place? But again, ask any of them that go out, either of the Stephanies, Stephanie Smith, Stephanie Birch. We've got a lot of Stephanies here. But ask them about the, the opportunities they've had to pray, the opportunities they've had to share with people because they'll set foot in there. You know, the reality is if you're set apart, you'll set the temperature. You know, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Sometimes we just need to live like that. You know, rubbing shoulders with sinners doesn't eliminate the cross. Matter of fact, Jesus rubbed shoulders with a lot of quote-unquote sinners on his way to the cross to die for them. I think sometimes we fear corruption, contamination, whatever, like it's contagious in circumstances where God has faith for conversion. we got to have that same faith. We're called to resist the devil, not run from him with our tail between our legs. Are there times that we need to avoid compromise? Yes, Daniel did. But evil isn't a contagious disease. It's a conscious choice. We need to make what Jeannie Mayo, I love, she, she calls it the pre-choice choice, the resolution the, to resolve to be set apart. And then when you're in those circumstances, you're set apart. You set the temperature. You know, Daniel avoided compromise, but he never avoided contact because without contact, there's no impact. Daniel was placed in Babylon. You look throughout the Bible. Joseph was placed in Egypt, a similarly wretched culture. The early church was placed under Roman rule, not to bunker down and hope to avoid contamination, but to break out and see conversions. You know, the church, our generation, us in the church, we were placed here for right now, for this season, for this time. You know, these past weeks, depravity and sin has wasted no time rearing its ugly head, assaulting the sanctity of life with violence after violence, death after death, all around the globe. Acts of injustice that create division rather than unified, they've all been prolific as of late. You know, the church in this season needs to be focused and it needs to be fearless. The church needs to share, again, we talked about it last week, the inherent value of every life that's created in God's image. Lives have been lost again and again. People are dying unjustly from all different backgrounds, every color of skin. If you haven't been pained by each instance, let me be bold enough to say you should be. You should be because every one of those lives is precious, created in God's image with inherent value. And you know the church needs to go beyond the world's solution of division to I tolerate you because you're different to I love you because you're family. I'll treat you as family. Peace in the gospel is more than just a ceasefire and the absence of conflict. It's being able to look at a former foe and call them family under the blood of Jesus Christ. We talked last week about how we're sent. Every time there's us versus them, our goal should be to create a we under the blood of Jesus Christ. And there's always the possibility of rejection, which I think there's always, because of that, the hesitancy to step out the inclination to succumb to silence. But A.W. Tozer has just a timely quote. He says, a scared world needs a fearless church. You know, the enemy isn't afraid of you going to church and checking it off your box of things to do. The enemy's afraid of you realizing you are the church, that you're called and commissioned. You're set apart and you're sent. We can't settle into this perspective of set apart as bunkering down and distancing ourselves from brokenness. The world's already got enough division and lines in the sand. We don't need to create more. We're sent. There's already enough division. We need the gospel to bridge the gap. You know, if I could have the worship team come up, I want to close with some verses that I believe would speak to 
the church's role in this season, I, I would hope that we as a church can champion. The first is in Isaiah 40. It's verse 3. It says, a voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. You know, John the Baptist was the one this verse prophesied about, who would later come along and prepare the way for Jesus. He could have been another example tonight. I could have, instead of Daniel, talked about John the Baptist because he lived both set apart and sent. And by doing that, he paved the way for Christ. And, you know, his culture, he could have made his call, his purpose in life, so many different things. Because he was a part of a Jewish culture under Roman oppression. He could have had a rallying cry of all kinds of things. But his rallying cry was to rally to Jesus, to pave the way for people to know Jesus Christ. It's what he did with his life as he was set apart and he was sent. You know, this year we're in an election year. We're in the midst of countless debates about gun problems, racial problems, problems here, there, and everywhere, and the policies and procedures that should be in place. And these are good conversations to have, conversations we should have about our nation and where we're at as a culture. But the number one issue of our day that we need to be speaking about as a church isn't going to be found on a platform, a political platform, or anything like that, in newspapers or anything. The number one issue in our day is a God problem. It's a sin problem. The divides we see in this world are just symptoms of the fact that sin has divided our relationship with God. The church's responsibility in this season is not legislation, policies, and procedures. The Bible doesn't say go make a Christian nation. It says go make disciples of all nations. It doesn't say to rule over but to reach. We're sent. God said go. And again, not just the Great Commission, although that passage is important. We read in John 17 where it says Jesus has commissioned and sent us into the world, into our communities, into our workplaces, into our schools, into our coffee houses, our grocery stores, our gyms, to ask questions, see where people are at, to have people to dinner, love on your neighbors, love on your local police officers, mourn with those who mourn. I don't know what that looks like for you, that God is sending you back this week to wherever you are to spread the message you have. That's just a question we need to go home with tonight. What, God, what do you want me to do this week to share you the hope that you have, the one message that can heal our land? How do you want me to do that this week? Is it reaching out to a neighbor, taking a coworker to coffee, taking donuts to a police uh, station and praying for them? What does it look like for you? Again, Jesus sent us into the world. And in Isaiah 40, it goes on in verse 9 to say this, another verse that I hope our church can champion. It says, messenger of good news, shout from the mountaintops. Shout it louder, O Jerusalem. Shout and do not be afraid. Tell the towns of Judah your God is coming. I believe God would say to us as a church, messenger of good news, tell the town of Suffolk, tell the town of Carrollton, tell the town of Smithfield, tell the town of Chesapeake, Portsmouth, wherever you're from, that God is coming. Not only is God coming, but he has come through Jesus Christ to die for us, cover us in his blood, bring peace and healing to the brokenness around us. May we shout it with our lives. We're carriers of the one message that has the power to bring healing to the world around us. Paul says in Colossians 1 verse 23 of the good news in the message version, he says, there is no other message, just this one. I am a messenger of this message. My question for you tonight is what's your message in this season? What message is your life 
putting forth? What's the, the script and the message of your conversations, of your posts, your interactions? Are you taking the time to be a messenger of the good news? Because we can have stances on all kinds of things. The only thing that's truly going to heal people from the inside out is the good news in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And trust me, silence is a message all its own. So God, I, I would pray tonight you would edit our message where it needs to be edited. God, edit our lives where they need to be edited. Edit our prayers to look like Jesus. Again, Jesus said, we join Jesus in prayer. Set us apart for your purposes so we can be commissioned and we can be sent. Where we need to be set apart, where we need to make some pre-choice choices, resolve to not compromise, maybe in the places we've compromised again and again, the issues of sin, the issues we're trying to overcome. God, where we need the strength to be set apart and resolve to give us that strength. But as Tara prayed earlier, where we need the strength to simply step out and be obedient to the fact you've sent us, give us the courage we need. Come on, if we could stand, we're going to go back in. We're going to sing God of miracles. But let's make that our prayer tonight. God, give me the courage to be pure. Give me the courage to live a life set apart that can be a light. And then give me the courage to go when you call me to go, to not be disobedient to the call you've given us. And if that's you in either instance, you need prayer because you need to get over something that's been just haunting you, need to, you need to resolve and make a pre-choice choice to lay that down here tonight, then I want to pray for you. Or if you believe you need courage, more courage, more boldness, you know, the Holy Spirit came upon the church in Acts so that they could go out with boldness. Let's pray. If you need prayer for any of that, I'd love to pray for you. Nate's right here. He can pray for you. If you need prayer, let's pray. But let's also worship in this moment and let's be obedient to go.